Christ died for us. He was raised for us. And amazingly, He intercedes for us. The grave basis for God's justification of sinners is once again stated in verse 34. And each time Paul comes back to it, it's like, you know, it's just like, just a joy to let it seep into your heart. And uh, we want to take a good look at it. Notice, and uh, it closes with that little word, for us, okay? And that applies really to all three things. Christ died for us, He was raised for us, and He intercedes for us. God is for us. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part five of the message titled, God is for us. We invite you to follow along with us as we get started. I want you to turn to Romans 8, if you will. Uh, pick it up at verse 31 with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him... Freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Seems to me that uh, every Christian ought to memorize this text. I mean, you know, you could say that really about this whole latter part of this chapter. In fact, the more I think of this chapter, the more I say, memorize the whole chapter. Get it in your heart. Let it be a real home base for you. Remember, it starts with no condemnation, and it ends. And we're going to see next time, Lord willing... It closes with that great hymn of security. There is no separation from the love of God. And in between there is so much. But Paul ends the chapter by throwing questions really right in the teeth of anyone and everyone who would oppose us. In fact, he throws questions right in the teeth of the ultimate adversary, Satan. Satan, who's called in Revelation 12, the deceiver of the world and the accuser of the brethren. And so uh, today, Paul raises some of these questions we've been seeing. And as we look at this text, and as you abide in this text and let it sink into your heart, remember, it answers the very questions that Satan loves to stir up in your heart and your mind and soul and uh, question God and question the salvation that God has provided for you and cause you to ask the wrong questions why Paul raises questions and answers them in such a way that uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, comfort and security for us. God is for us. God Almighty is for us. Capital G. You know, not the God of your imagination, not the God that this world uh, dreams up, the God who spoke the heavens into existence, the Almighty, the God Most High of Scripture, He, the only true God, 
is for us. Don't be afraid, little flock. You remember we looked last week at Jesus' words in uh, Luke 12. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. How for us is He? Now look at verse 32. He didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? God is for us. He didn't spare His own Son, and He is for us. Notice the little pronoun, us. Don't miss that, by the way, four times in verse 31 and 32. And my text this morning closes with Jesus Christ interceding for us. Who is the us? This is crucial because what I have to say today and what the text is saying today is for us. Who's the us? Well, remember, look back at verse 28. Looked at from the human side and looked at from the divine side. The us is those who love God. Looked at from the human side. And looked at from the divine perspective, those who are called according to His purpose. Before I go any further, let me just ask you, do you love Him? Everything that's being said here in chapter 8 is for believers. Those who've come to know Him, and to know Him is to love Him. I'm not asking if you hold some doctrines. I'm asking, do you love Him? Have you been called according to His purpose? Then get in, you might say. Splash around. Enjoy what He has to say now. And uh, let's look at it together. You know, in one sense, though, you stop and think about it, verse 31 would be enough, wouldn't it? If God is for us, who's against us? Why can't He just stop? It would be enough to just say, God is for us. Who's against us? And if that's true, certainly verse 32, I mean, we, we paused and molded over last time. That would be enough, wouldn't it? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, will He not freely give us all things? That'd be enough. That's enough. But He keeps progressing here. And verse 33, he goes back to the courtroom drama. Remember when we started Romans, I said that Romans is like a courtroom drama. Paul is arguing the case for Christianity. And it's good to think of it that way. And now he kind of brings our mind back by the way he says things in verse 33. And think of a courtroom as you read verse 33, because he isn't done. He said, God is for us, but he isn't done. He said, he didn't spare his own son, but amazingly, he's not done. He continues to drive the question. And you and I need this. We need this. We're built to where we need this kind of encouragement. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who would dare bring a formal charge against God's elect. Now remember, courtroom scene. You say, well, today a lot of people would. Well, yeah. In man's little arena, there'd be all kinds of charges, and there are all kinds of 
accusations against Christians. All kinds of ridicule against God's church. All kinds of disputes and scoffings and mockery and that sort of thing in man's little arena. But we're talking about God's courtroom. Who would bring a charge against God's... In that day, when we stand, what really counts, you know, when we stand before God, who would dare bring a charge against God's... Nobody. That's who. Nobody. Nobody. Oh, enjoy that. Look at verse 33 again. And enjoy that beautiful description of us. Who will bring a charge against God's elect, God's chosen ones? He uses this same term, the Scripture does, when they were taunting Christ. And they said to Him, why don't you come down from the cross if you're the chosen one of God? Well, He was. And the fact that He was is why He didn't come down from that cross. But amazingly, God calls us the elect. We're his chosen. Who could bring a charge against God's chosen? Nobody. I don't care who brings the charges. I don't care how well documented they are. I don't care how many exhibits. Exhibit A, B, C, D, you know, right down. I don't care how many charges are brought. The charges will be thrown out. The charges will be seen as false. You say false? Yeah. God, the righteous one, is the one who justifies. Look at the end of the verse. Who would bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who declared us righteous. The righteous one himself, the very standard of righteousness, declared you righteous, Christian. Nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. Who's going to argue with God anyway? <laughs> and I know, I know a lot of people will today, but one day there'll be no more arguing. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? God said to Job, after letting him do a little of that, and his friends do a lot of that, for 39 chapters, you remember, God finally said, the fault finder going to contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Are you going to throw something up to God? Oh, no. There'll be no argument. God is the one who justifies. Now, if we were self-justified, we would have plenty of worry. We'd be fearful of charges. And by the way, all other religions are some form of self-justification. And if you're self-justified... Why, you always making excuses. You're always uh, trying to buttress things a little bit, make a better case for things. And that's why you find self-righteous people, maybe calling themselves Christian even, uh, maybe giving lip service to Christian truth to one extent or another, but never having really put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll find them building their case. If you ask them how they stand with God, well, I think I've done pretty good here and I try hard over here. And there's constantly that worry because they don't know that they've been, because they haven't been, justified. That's why I say it's crucial who is the us here. The us are those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God justifies you. And there's really only two religions when you stop and think about it. There's a lot of religions I know. 
But when, when I say other religions, I, I'll put it to you this way. There's two. There's the religion of divine accomplishment. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And there's the religion of human achievement. Human achievement. I've done this, I've done that, I'm trying hard over here. And as long as you're in human achievement, you won't have any kind of real settled peace. But when a person rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the divine accomplishment, there is complete justification. And no charge will be able to... I don't care how well documented. You say, well, wait a minute. Is God just arbitrarily going to throw charges out? I mean, is he going to, you know, take well-documented charges and declare them false? No. Well, I thought you just said he was a minute ago. No, there will be no well-documented charges. Now, that brings us once again to another great statement of it. Look at verse 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You see, in God's courtroom, there will be no well-documented charges. There will be no evidence because Jesus Christ died for us. He was raised for us. And amazingly, he intercedes for us. The great basis for God's justification of sinners is once again stated in verse 34. And each time Paul comes back to it, it's like, you know, it's just like just a joy to let it seep into your heart. And uh, we want to take a good look at it. Notice, and uh, it closes with that little word, for us, okay? And that applies really to all three things. Christ died for us, he was raised for us, and he intercedes for us. God is for us. I mean, stop and think about it. Christ died for us, Christ was raised for us, and he now, seated at the right hand of God, prays for us. He intercedes for us. Now, who's the one who condemns? Well, God is the judge, and the judge justified us. Christ Jesus, God as Savior, died for us. Who's the one who condemns? There's nobody who can. Christ Jesus is He who died. You see, Christ died for our sins. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. The only one who could bring a charge against God's elect, God's Son, the Holy and Righteous One, is the one who willingly laid his life down for us. No man takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down on my own authority. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ willingly went to the cross for you. Who condemn you? Christ Jesus is he who died. God will not judge sin twice. Sin has been paid for. Judgment fell at Calvary on Jesus Christ. And so Paul answers his own question with the great triumph that uh, Christ died for that sin. It's been paid for. 
Nobody can bring any evidence before God that you were ever a sinner. (laughs) Think about it. Other sinners can't. Demons can't. Satan can't. The accuser. No one in the created universe can can produce any evidence that you were ever a sinner. God sees you in Christ. Your sin has been put as far as the east is from the west. I'll put all their sins, I'll cast them into the depths of the sea, God said in Micah. He draws so many pictures of it. He put our sin in Christ's body on the cross, and Christ became an accursed thing and died in our place. God doesn't judge sin twice. It's been dealt with. It's been paid for. And we are now in Christ. We talked about it. We're so thoroughly identified with Christ that when a person lays his hand on a believer, he's laying his hand on the body of Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, the risen Christ said, when he spoke to Saul of Tarsus and called him out of darkness into light. Now, I'll tell you, we are in Christ. We are so identified with Christ that when God sees us, He sees Christ. The only one who ever could bring accusation is Christ, and Christ is the one who died for us. You know, He came as His whole purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And He knew what that meant. He didn't just come just kind of seeking, you know. He came to seek and to save. And He knew what that meant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He knew when he came that it meant going to the cross. That wasn't an oversight or, oh boy. No, that's why he came. Christ was born to die. And he came to this earth with that purpose in mind. In thy book, it is written of me, you know, remember Hebrews 10 language, to do thy will. You've prepared a body for me. All those sacrifices, thou hast taken no pleasure in all those Old Testament sacrifices, but you've prepared a body for me, and I have come to do thy will. And the will of the Father from all eternity was that his Son give his life for us. And Jesus Christ, in perfect harmony with the Father, came to give his life a ransom for many. You know, you see this all over, or maybe you don't see it. Let me just show you. Look over at Galatians. Just look at Galatians 1 for just a minute. There are so many verses uh, that say this, but sometimes we read right through them. We maybe become a little used to this, but I, I don't want us to. Galatians 1.3, when he's just introducing things. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. The idea is that he did that. It wasn't, he wasn't a victim. Grace and peace from God our Father and from God our, God his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And you just watch for it sometime in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, the, there are so many texts that tell us this, that he willingly and purposefully died for us. Who would bring a charge against God's elect? God is the justifier. And God's Son 
is the Savior. Christ died for us. And that's not all. How do I know that that dealt with my sin? Read the rest of the verse. Verse 34 says, Christ died for us. Yes, rather, who was raised. The great proof that God was satisfied was that He raised His Son from the dead. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. We saw that back in chapter 6. Now, Paul just kind of brings it in here as he brings these final conclusions to this great security of our salvation. He says, Christ was not only, not only died, but he was raised from the dead. And that's not all. Look, he's at the right hand of the, of God and he also intercedes for us. Christ having arose, having ascended, he's seated at the right hand of God and he's praying for us. He's praying for us. Now, I don't know how you can state it any stronger than Paul has here. Uh, but enjoy this. Christ died for you. He was raised for you. And now he is praying for you. Right now, he's praying for us. You see, the whole argument of the book of Hebrews is, is this, really. Four times in the book of Hebrews, you have Christ taking his seat. He is done. He's done. When he had made purification of sins, the book starts in the third verse. When he'd made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Then he argues for eight chapters showing what it means to have a priest like that, a high priest who praying for us, he's taking care of us, who is so superior to any other kind of priest, and hence don't ever... Don't ever start to get occupied with some priest system or some even under the name of Christianity that can somehow absolve your sins or take care of you. Oh, no, there's only one priest for you. It's the high priest. He is sat down at the right hand of God. He's made purification of sins. And for seven chapters, he argues that. And then he gets to chapter 8, and he says it a second time. He says, now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. You remember the description he gives there of our, of our high priest. And then over in chapter 10, he raises the question, well... What about all those old sacrifices, though? And he says, listen, those priests, they used to sacrifice for sin time after time after time. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Chapter 10, verse 12. And then you get to chapter 12, and he says, listen, we've got this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And he, you know, he's just described the chapter 11 and all the Old Testament saints. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God is for us, a message from our series in the book of Romans. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God is for us. We can't lose. He's going to see us safely through to His eternal kingdom. No wonder, he says, don't be afraid, little flock. The Father has chosen gladly. He was well pleased to choose you, to give you his kingdom. Oh, what a privilege to stand in Christ. Christ, representing me at the right hand of the Father, look back at verse 27. The Holy Spirit is interceding for me here. God the Father... Is for me. He gave his only begotten son. God the Son is praying for me at the right hand of the Father. God the Spirit is praying for me when I don't know how to pray as I should, which is all the time. Could anybody be in better shape than us? No. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott will conclude the six part series titled. God is for us. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.